Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal opportunity housing provider. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed. If you love Dynasty Leagues and prospects, you came to the right place, because that's what this show is all about. Covering the majors and all levels of the minor leagues to give you the leg up in your Dynasty Leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, Dynasty and prospect fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 33 of the Fantrax Toolship with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store for you all today. And with me, as usual, is my awesome co-host from Fantrax HQ, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, what's up, man? Oh, not too much. Just uh, another weekend just flown by, and it's Sunday night, and we're recording again. It's crazy. Feels like life just goes by the snap of a finger, but... Here we are. We're ready to talk some some prospects, ready to talk some dynasty. It's going to be a fun show. I'm looking forward to it. It is. And man, yeah, this weekend flew by like we were talking before we came on the air. And I was like, you you ever need a weekend to recover from the weekend? Like, I need one of those right now because I have just been going nonstop the entire weekend. Kids birthday parties. My daughter's birthday was yesterday or Saturday. When you listen to this, you just turned nine. Had my little sister's uh, dance recital on Sunday evening. It's just, it's been a long weekend. And to cap it all off, it was hot, the hottest two days of the year. It was humid. So you add that into it. And it's like, I'm I'm beat, man. But I'll get over it, get through it. Talk some prospects, talk some dynasty. It's going to be a fun episode. But before we get into the episode, the usual housekeeping, you can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I am at EricCross04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform. Those ratings and reviews do mean a lot. And please check out our Patreon for extra written content from both of us. Bonus podcasts, private Discord access, access to our live prospect and dynasty rankings, and FYPD rankings. Those are both on there now. Uh, Custom rankings and much more. These perks are available across four different tiers, starting at just $5.00. Or if you just want to thank and support Chris and I, you could do so for $1 a month. Sign up today at patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. And for the entire month of June, Chris and I are putting out our individual, well, in the same post, um, a post on the top 20 dynasty prospects for every, uh, all 30 teams. Uh, we'll go kind of division by division alphabetically within each division. Uh, we've already done Baltimore, Boston, 
the Yankees and Tampa. Uh, we actually need to get a little caught up here from the weekends. We were both just so busy. Uh, but we'll have like Toronto um, up tomorrow or today when you're listening to this, and then get to the NL, uh, the AL Central, excuse me. Uh, top 20 dynasty prospects from each of us will be in that, plus a blurb uh, each on a prospect we think could rise up ranking. So check that out. It's a great time to sign up for our Patreon. It's the beginning of the month. Again, patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. And be sure to check out all the other great written and audio work we have at Fantrax HQ, including our two other good baseball podcasts, my other show, Five Tool and SP Streamer. All right, Chris, let's get into this week's episode. A lot of good topics this week. We'll get some news and notes here at the beginning, do our rookie report, recap, whatever you want to call it. It's looking at some interesting rookies so far this season that have really you know, been performing well, not so well. Some interesting thoughts on them. Uh, maybe our opinions have changed on these prospects over the last couple of months as we get past the one-third mark of the season into the third month of the season. So we'll talk a little bit of that and then end the show with some prospects to stash because we've had a, you know, a good amount of prospects come up over the last few weeks. And now the question is, all right, who's next? So we'll, we'll talk who's next. But let's start with the most recent news and notes here. Uh, Jackson Coar was called up about three hours ago before we started recording by the Kansas City Royals. And he has absolutely been dominant in AAA Omaha this year. In six starts, 31 and two-thirds innings, Coar has a 0.85 ERA, 0.88 whip. He has just been absolutely dominating 41 Ks through those 31 and two-thirds innings, which is much higher. He had never been a big strikeout guy. Now, he wasn't a big strikeout guy at Florida back in the day. He wasn't a big strikeout guy in 2018 in the minors or 2019 in the minors. That K rate has jumped. Now, kind of a one of those borderline. You see him in some back end top 100 lists. Others, you know, maybe in the 125 to 150 range. Chris, how excited are you for Jackson Kowar? And do you think he can make an impact in fantasy leagues right away? I definitely think there's a chance he can make that impact, but I'm not sure I'm going to go all in on Fab at least for like redraft leagues. Now, if you own him in a dynasty league, he could be a solid addition to your rotation. But for redrafts, I'm just not sure how much of an impact he'll make. We look at and Lynch, when Daniel Lynch came up, he struggled. And a lot of these young pitchers come up and struggle. And we know kohar has been very, very good. You mentioned the stats. It's hard to argue with what he's done. And he's got a great changeup. I think that's really what gives him an edge is the changeup is potentially a double-plus pitch here. And very dominant. The fastball's potentially a plus offering as well. And after that, I think there's, you know, some, some slight concerns with the rest of the arsenal from the curveball. That's really his third pitch is his curveball. And I think it needs a little work still. He doesn't generate as many whiffs on it as you think, like you watch it and it looks kind of nasty, but he's not generating a ton of whiffs on it, at least so far this year. He's kind of been a product of some luck. I would say, I mean, yeah, you, you look at a 0.85 ERA and a 0.88 whip, like that's just stupid. Good. But he's had a 90% strand rate. The BABIP's been pretty low compared to his career norms. The walks up a hair. He was in, in 2019, he was a, around 7% up to 8.3 this year. Not a concern. The strikeouts are where it jumps. I'm curious as to 
whether the strikeouts stick at the major league level because yeah. you can get away from some things at AAA that you can't get away with in the majors. You're going from a lot of quad A type hitters in AAA to professional hitters in the majors. And so I wonder how, how he's going to perform a lot left to be said. I think that there can be an impact, but I don't think I'm going to blow a ton of fab on him personally. I think that like a lot of these rookie arms, he could come up and struggle. And I'm afraid that's, what's going to happen here, but you know, long-term for dynasty, I do think that, he has a solid combo. I mean, the the fastball changeup combo is really good. If he can get that curve, I think to it be a probably average pitch, then I think there's a real chance he can be a solid starter, maybe like a number three type. He, I mean, he's been pretty durable throughout his career, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm excited to at least watch him pitch, but I'm not putting the expectations super high. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. You know, he his arsenal kind of reminds me of Chris Paddock's when Paddock came up. It was like, all right, pretty decent fastball. I'm not talking like right now. I'm talking about when you know a couple years ago when Paddock first came up. Pretty good fastball, really good changeup. And then the curveball was just there. Like it wasn't a good offering. Um, you know, even though it might you know break a ton. You know, Paddock threw some good curveballs. Like every now and then he throw a good curveball, just enough to make you think you know what, maybe this pitch could be a legitimate third offering. That's kind of what Coar has been. You know, fastball, changeup dominant, curveball is kind of there, but kind of fringe average so far. They, this It's been a little better this year, but still, I, I don't really think this would be a, like, you know, above average or plus pitch anytime soon. So, yeah, I think he can have some value. You know, obviously, he's, been, he's on a roll right now. He's really firing well. Uh, he's You know, the K rate's gone up. The walk rate's been pretty solid. You know, I guess see if those K's stick. I got with you on that too. I'm I'm not sure if they will, but you know, there's some decent value there. Like, but I don't think you know. Someone asked me the other day, you know, comparing him to the other arms in this system. I think in terms of this long term upside, and I think Lacey and Lynch are the clear cut top two here. I think Coors more in the like, Brady Singer range, where it's just be a solid, you know, maybe borderline top fifty type of arm long-term, but someone that's not going to be, you know, taken within the top 200 picks or so on draft day or something like that, but it's a solid arm to add. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to go crazy on him and fab, and, but you might not need to, you know, especially people that are doing it tonight. Maybe you can sneak him in for a, a smaller fab bid, but we'll see how he goes. You know, his first couple of outings here, I'm kind of in a wait and see mode, so I probably won't get him in a lot of my leagues, but Definitely think there could be some decent value rest of the season. Uh, sticking with the Kansas City Royals as well, Edward Olivares got called up, performed well, got sent back down in an odd move for like two or three days, and then is called back up now. He's actually one in this on this team I'm more excited about for fantasy purposes because he's shown a decent power speed blend, you know, throughout his minor league career, especially more so on the speed side of things. And he's already kind of flashed that, you know, in his quick time here earlier in the season, he already had a steal um, earlier on in that little three game stand he had, uh, but last week, but in the minor leagues, 110 steals in 490 games in 2019, double a Armarillo for San Diego, 18 home runs, 35 steals in 2018, 12 and 21, 2017, 17 and 20, 279, 347, 448 career 
slash in the minor league. So there's some upside here. Is is Olivares someone that you're looking at to add here in, in free draft leagues, Chris? Yeah, he is. And I, I was really confused why he got sent down. It didn't make I know, sense. Right? <laughs> like, what were they doing? I mean, he, he came out and had four hits and 12 plate appearances and looked fine. Like you mentioned, he had a steal. Uh, why? I'm just confused. But, yeah, Eumontis, on the IL, so he comes back up. I like him. I've been a fan kind of for a little while, especially after 2019 when he had a strong season in the Padres AA uh, team. And since then, you know, it was kind of interesting. They kind of they didn't trade him for much, if I remember right. And they yeah. sent him over to Kansas City. I think it was for some relievers, maybe Tim Hill. I don't remember that deal. Oh, was, but. oh was that – no, that wasn't in the Rosenthal deal, was it? It may be, yeah, I think you're right. I bet it was. It may, may, might have been that one. Okay, well, that makes me feel so For like an, an older, but yeah, so it's something, but not like, you know, it was an older reliever that they kind of added. So it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like it was a major deal or anything like that. Yeah, but I think that he has the upside. I mean, when you yeah. look at the upside of a power speed guy, and especially in today's landscape where, one, that are few and far between, and two, the, the injuries that have piled up this year, having a healthy outfielder like this is is pretty big. So if he's available in, in any of my leagues, I'm definitely trying to add him where I can is, you know, I think that he can provide some help in both the power speed department. The hit tool I think is solid. Even his first stint in the majors wasn't great, but you can put that past him. I mean, guys struggle all the time when they debut and, you know, he was dominant this year in triple a, and I think he's ready. I think he's ready for, this role, he's not – I mean, he doesn't have to be a, a spotlight-type guy in Kansas City. He can just go out and do his thing, and I think that he can produce. And, and I think there's probably upside for him to to be at least a 10-10 guy the rest of the way if he plays. So I'm hoping yep. that he gets the reps and can show out. You know who he kind of reminds me of? Uh, this has popped in my head. Lorenzo Kane minus a little bit of batting average. Yeah, I think that's fair. Kane was always kind of like, you know, he had those years where he was like, you know, 12 to 15 home runs or so, like, you know, mid, you know, 20, 25 steals. Maybe I think maybe he had 30 a couple of times. Um, but I think Kane, you know, I'm looking at his stats right now. Kane had a bunch of years where he was like five years in a row. Where he was between 287 and 308 with four of those being over 300. So I don't think Olivares is going to be a, 300 hitter you know maybe he's 260 peaks 270 275 or something maybe drops down 250 in that kind of range but power speed i think he could be pretty close and you know you mentioned there's not a lot of pressure it's okay there's not any pressure in right. kansas city there's never any pressure at kansas city or so pittsburgh thing. or got teams like this so he isn't he doesn't have the pressure on him that a jared kelnick had which we'll talk about here in a minute um, so, yes, I think he could settle in, assuming they don't send him back down uh, yeah. in a few days, which who knows, with the Kansas City Royals. But, yeah, I think there's a sneaky little power speed blend here. And, you know, he was always pretty, you know, pretty efficient on the base pass. Like I said, he had 100 and um, – oh, wait, I'm back on Lorenzo Cain here. Um, yeah, 110 steals and 145 attempts, which equates out to a 76% success rate, which is pretty solid. You just like to see that over 70 um, yeah, and he just seems to, he's like he's gotten better and better over the last couple of years. So definitely some interesting value here, uh, rest of the season and long term. So like him a good amount. Uh, let's go over to some not so good news here out of Atlanta. When I did my last Dynasty Top 500 rankings update earlier this week, the hardest player, easily the hardest player for me to rank. Marcel Ozuna. 
uh, this is an interesting situation. Obviously, the the arrest, the domestic violence charge with strangulation, that's not good. Who knows if he ever plays again? Like, you never know with these situations. Atlanta's already, you know, talked with the commissioner's office. They're launching an investigation. You know, a lot of these leagues are clamping down more so on these domestic violence issues that the NFL has, has clamped down more on it. MLB has as, as well. So you just don't know. He was already injured. Like he was already on the IL for, you know, not supposed to return for at least several more weeks. So you got to wonder, does he play again this season? Does he play again ever? It's not like he's 22. I think Ozuna's in his early 30s, 32, 33, something like that. So it's really hard to figure out what his value is in dynasty leagues right now. I ended up keeping him in my 500. I think he's in the 200 range or so just because I, he, he was around top 50. And I, I just know where to put him. Uh, Chris, where are you putting Ozuna? Like, mm. it's just so hard to figure out where to put him because there's so many unknowns here. Yeah, I think you're right. And my concern is, one, you mentioned the age. He, he will turn 31 this year. Okay, yeah. I, I'm afraid he's going to stay in jail for a, a while, actually. The minimum, if he's, if he's found guilty, the minimum sentence is one year in Georgia and up to 20 years. So... It's hard to say for sure because we don't know. Like, there's unknowns. I think it's almost a guarantee that he doesn't put on a Braves jersey ever again. The Braves are Braves can't do anything right now. They're legally binded to his contract until one he's either convicted and, and like actually in, like put in jail, or he's placed on the restricted list by the MLB. At that point, I do think the Braves release him because they're out of the like they spent. 72 mil on his contract like they're out of that deal at that point they're not going to cut him right now and eat the money they can't do that and so i wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't put on that jersey again i wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't put on any jersey again it's the question marks it's the unknowns we don't know but again it's it's a tough spot i think he has zero dynasty value at the moment because of what we know things could change i would kind of recommend in a dynasty league, I'd probably just hold him one because he can be put on your IL. I would hold him for right now, at least until there's some more clarity. Obviously, like if you don't want to roster a guy like this, like I get it. But cutting him, I don't know. I get cutting and redraft. I think he's an easy cut. Oh, and yeah. in dynasty, I'm probably holding. Like I've got him in a couple places. I'm gonna keep him on my IL until there's some clarity. Like in, at least until there's a trial and we know something. And then after that. Hopefully it clears it up some, but right now there's just question marks and that's the thing. There's so many unknowns, but I I'd say at the moment, like he has no value at all. Like, I don't think you could trade him for anything. I mean, somebody in your league might, that's the thing. There's always, there always might be someone in your league that will take a shot. Cause they'll say, well, in the off chance that he isn't convicted and he returns even at the end of the year or next year, like if you're playing for next year, you get some value. So you might could get something for him, but I don't think you get much for him. And honestly, I'm not going out of my way to to buy him. You know, great points, but like, what if the price is like, let's say you don't have him, and the, and the person in your league that does have him is just looking to see if you can get him for whatever. What if the cost is like a top two fifty ish prospect? Like, what if you know someone that you can probably replace fairly easily or just won't miss? You know, maybe just because it's low risk for you if you're giving up a you know, a low level pro back end prospect from your team, you know? So maybe that could be worth 
trying, but yeah, I won't give up any anything that you think you might regret. I wouldn't do it just because, like you said, like, and we both said there might be a chance he never plays again in baseball. So, yeah, it's really hard situation thing to kind of figure out with dynasty value right now. But uh, let's get up, let's move past this though on <laughs> some on some better news because we got some some intriguing arms here that are close to returning on rehab assignments right now. Let's start with Tony Gonsolin, a guy I had in my waiver wire report this week. He looks like he'll be back pitching this week against the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. And Gonsolin, for me, is interesting. I like Gonsolin a good amount. He's always had really good stuff. Even throughout his minor league career, he's always performed well. Seeming wherever he went uh, in the major league so far over 2019 and 2020, Combined for 86 and two-thirds innings, 2.60 ERA, 0.92 whip. Hasn't really struck out a ton of batters. Like it's, you know, his K rates in the low 20% range. So that's, you know, around league average, maybe a tick below right now. But I do think there's the upside for more strikeouts when you look at the arsenal that he has. Because in each of the last two seasons in the major leagues, his splitter and slider have both had whiff rates basically 40% and above. The splitter would be close enough. So he gets whiffs on both the splitter and the slider. And both of those pitches have a batting average against of 220 or less in every season. The slider was 0.045 in 2019, 0.156 in 2020 with a 46.5% whiff rate. Fastball averages right around 95 miles an hour in 2020, you know, and that had a batting average against under 200 as well. So that three pit, you know, mixing the, an occasional curveball, it's, you know, kind of there. It's really the other three pitches here. So, so good fastball, two good secondaries that he mixes in pretty consistently. 2020, those pitches combined for 46.5% usage with good results, as I mentioned. So I think there is a good chance that this K rate starts ticking up here. Like the, the stuff is there for the K rate to tick up. And you know, he's shown that he can limit his limit. The ratios. He's never been a big walk rate guy. 6.5% for his career. Last year was 4%, which was top 5% of the league limits, hard contact very well as, as well. You know, barrel rates are only 3.9% against him in his career against fairly small sample size, but still that's a very good rate. I'm uh, there's a lot to like here. I'm all in. Like, if you need a pitcher this week, I would go after him probably more than anybody if he's still out there on your waiver wire. How about you, Chris? 100%. I think he's always had the talent. He just never had the chance to be a consistent starter. And now he's got it. I mean, Dustin May's not coming back this year. They're using David Price weird, like every fifth day bullpen <laughs> type game. Gonsolin's got the spot and he's yep. getting eased in this week. He gets the Pirates and potentially a two start against the Rangers. Like you can't get eased in any right. better than that. <laughs> and I'm usually like against starting guys right off the IL, but I think I'm starting him, especially in a weekly league. He might get the two star. If he starts Tuesday, he'll line up Sunday, I think, against the Rangers. I'd start him for those two starts, and yeah. I'd feel pretty confident about it. I mean, he's looked good in AAA. He had a little home run issue, but he's never had a home run issue in the past. Some of that I just wonder, it's a rehab start. How much does he really care? Like, you know, that happens with guys. He's ready to get up and perform, so I think he'll be fine. And you mentioned the swing and strike rate is definitely conducive to him having a higher strikeout rate. 
and he doesn't walk a ton of guys. Like, especially last year, we saw that really tick down. So that'll be interesting to see where that lands this year. Because in the past, we've seen him, you know, hover anywhere in the minors from like 7% to up to even up to 11% in 2019 in AAA. So I'll be interested to see where his walk rate ends up landing. He'll probably be in the 6% range, which is great. I think that's great for a starter. And you mentioned, you you spoke to all the stats, and, and they're really good. And I think Gonsolin can be a really solid, like, SP3 for you. And you can get him for pretty much free, like, and you got to go out and get fab, pay some fab for him. But I'm willing to do that. I don't think he's not available in any of my leagues, which is frustrating. But people have kind of held on to him, which I think that kind of speaks to how good he can be. And I'm fully expecting that. Like I'm expecting him to come out and put up an ERA under four with you know solid ratio, like a solid whip and more than a strikeout per inning. So I'm very excited about him coming back. And I think that he'll be a solid fantasy arm for you. Now, rest of the, for this year. So I'll ask a question for both this year and dynasty. Who would you rather have him or Jackson Kowar? Oh, Gonsolin, in my yeah, opinion, for, for both. Yeah, for me, yep. I think it's maybe a little closer for this year. Long-term, I think there's a slightly bigger gap there. But yeah, I, I love Tony Gonsolin. He's kind of been a guy I've always really liked a lot. You know, obviously coming out of a, you know one of the best systems for developing pitching talents, like all the pitchers they've developed over the last handful of years. You know, Dustin May, Walker Bueller, the list goes on and on. So, yeah, he's got the spot. Looks like, you know, like I said, uh, Dustin May is not coming back anytime soon, not till, not till next year. David Price is just – I think he's only there because they have to pay him somewhat. Yeah. Even though the, the Red Sox are eating oh, – I forget how much, but more than I want to admit um, yeah. of that contract. I hate that we're still paying David Price. That's nuts. Uh, we're still paying Manny too, I'm pretty sure, which is ridiculous, even though Manny hasn't played with us in like uh, a decade. When did Manny leave Boston? 2000 – he was on the 07 team, so like 08, 09, maybe. And we're still paying yeah. him like two. It's like a Bobby Bonilla thing. I'm <laughs> um, still paying him like two million a year just just for the heck of it. But uh, yeah, Gonzalez should get the run. He's got the stuff to succeed. So definitely like him a good amount this year and long term. I think long term he could be top. What do you, what do you think? Peak Gonzalez, top forty fantasy starter, maybe like a SP three. Is that crack? Is that fair? 30. Yeah, I think you can go top 30. You higher than that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think especially, especially if, if the K rate goes up. Yeah, I, I think, think that's that could definitely happen. Yeah. And that's the thing with Dustin May, too, we we were waiting on. And right. I don't know. The Dodgers are so good with pitching and developing pitching that. Yeah, it's I like they always, done. it always gets figured out at some yeah. point. Maybe, maybe it might take a little bit of time, like with Dustin May. It sucks that he got hurt because he was really, I was really impressed with Dustin May earlier this year with the strikeouts he was racking up. So, um, yeah. Looking forward to seeing what Gonsolin can do this year. And then a couple more rehab arms here. Moving over to the other coast, over to the East Coast, where Chris and I are. In the AL East, we got Luis Severino on rehab and Brendan McKay. Two intriguing arms here. Now, which one? Let's start with Severino. How excited are you for Severino this year? Do you think he can come back and be an immediate, you know, top? Or I mean, I, I wouldn't even put a number on it. Can he, he be a guy that can come back? And this, a guy that you can just plug back in and start every start. Is he that type, Is he that good this year, you think? I'm not sure right off the bat, but I do think, you know, if so he pitched a rehab outing today in slow A, Tampa. He threw 34 pitches, two and two-thirds, struck out three, walked one, one earned run. So he looked decent. I haven't watched it, so I'm just looking at the stat line. But I think that he could be built back up by, I don't know, I think he's back by the all-star break. 
guess so. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's about a month. Yeah, a little, little over a month, about five or so weeks away. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right around there. Yeah, I don't know if I'm starting him right off the bat, but I do think that by August and into the postseason run, I think that they're going to need him. And so I think I think you could see him perform well. And so you know, again with these TJ guys, you never know. He could have a setback pretty quickly. You know, we've seen that with with Syndergaard and who knows with with Sale, honestly. But yeah, Severino looks to be the first one back of those, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him be really solid. I mean, that's all he's done throughout his career has been, been really good. And you kind of forget that, that how, how good he's been throughout his career. And, you know, if you exclude 2016, I mean, he had a five, eight, three ERA in 2016 over 71 innings. He still has a career three, four, six ERA. So he's right. been pretty good. And the strikeout rates have, were steadily improving each season. And he was up to 35%, which, you know, small sample in 2019, I shouldn't quote that, but you know, 2017, 2018 up in the 28%, 29% range, the walk rate ticked down each year. So if he comes back and can be that guy, then then he's a borderline SP one, which is what I think he was prior to going down. We just have to hope he's fully healthy. That's the biggest thing. Yep, absolutely. And that's, that's the question, right? Cause he's that you miss so much time and so many injuries on that arm and the shoulder, you, know, you always had to wonder how he looks because actually he like you mentioned he was really good before as you know he was that top you know 15 arm for the most part before his injury and in, in every year except for 2016 but one thing that's really kind of intrigued me because I haven't really dug into Luis Severino in a while right because he hasn't really pitched in a while right the, the last year you know like I said he pitched a little bit in 2019 but not not really so this last year that he really pitched was 2018. So you think that was three years ago? Was baseball savant around then? Yes, but I remember back then, like not a lot of people were like really using savant metrics. That's kind of when it started to really tick up. I think people were looking at spin rates and whiff rates and stuff like that. So I haven't really dug into a savant page too much, to be honest with you. And looking at it now, you know, obviously it's it's pretty good, but. I was surprised because I remember his slider was always really, really good. And he always used it, you know, 30 to 40% of the time. There wasn't really any big whiff rates. It was always kind of like mid, there was 36%, 34%, 37%. So it's like, you know, that's decent. But I thought that we would have had a higher whiff rate on that pitch. And overall, his whiff rates, you know, in, in general were like slightly above league average. League average is around like 24, 25%. He was at like 26, 27, 28. So I think above league average, but at the same time, like you would have thought with a guy like Severino and how good he was, he would would have been higher that you would have thought he would have been at least up in the 30s somewhere. Um, so I, I got to wonder what he looks like coming back, see what the what the Arsenal looks like. I, mean, I, I remember you know seeing his many of his starts against my Red Sox and us not being able to touch him, or that, that slider especially how much break that has. So, yeah, I do like Severino long-term. I still have him in my top 150 overall for my dynasty rankings. But, yeah, I, I this year, I don't know. I, I think it's a, I think the Yankees, even though they're really hungry for pitch, for everything right now, they're really struggling right now, especially hitting. But I don't think the Yankees are going to rush him back. Like, they know how good of a, a value, how good of an asset he is to their team long-term. So, I can see them babying him for the most part. So I don't see him really going deep into games. They'll probably skip him every now and then, stuff like that. So this year, yeah, obviously I would, I would take a stab at him if he's out there, of course, because of the upside. But if you're expecting him to come back and just be like this 
huge impact arm right away. I don't know if that's him, but long term, I still believe he's a. I'm not sure if I'll go border SP1, but I'm thinking mid to back and SP2, but we'll see. I want to see how the strikeout rate looks, how the whiff rate looks coming back, and if that ticks up or not, but we'll see. Definitely an intriguing arm. So, yeah, he'll be back, like we said, probably another month or five weeks or so around the All Star break. So, it'd be good to get him back for the Yankees. And then the last arm here we'll talk about Brendan McKay. Now, Chris, I know you've been, you know, st- still a McKay supporter while some others are jumping ship. I'm still a McKay supporter as well, but I think you have him ranked a little higher than me. Should people be excited about McKay here for this season? I don't know. For this year, it's tough. I I don't know. I keep souring on him a little more just because it's like there's so many unknowns, and he's he's one that, you know, he was dominant in the minor leagues. And in 2019, he may have been one of the best pitchers in all the minor leagues. That's really how good he was. And he struggled a little bit. He debuted, struggled a little bit. You know, he's one inning from eclipsing his prospect status. He'll he'll get rid of that pretty quick. But I don't know. He's he's started a rehab assignment, extended spring training. So I don't really have a ton of information on how he's looked. But ah, that shoulder is just concerning. He hasn't pitched in so long. And we just don't know where he's at. And I think he has the capabilities to be good, but I wonder if the strikeouts tick down. Like, do you, I could see them really ticking down at the major league level. And I don't know. He, he struck out a lot of guys in the minors, and he had a really good arsenal of pitches. Like, the command was even really good. And I just wonder if that's he's going to lose that. I don't know. I, there's a, there's a too many question marks for me to like give a great answer right now on him. Yeah, you got to wonder what, what the K rate looks like. We know like that's a big part of fantasy value. And I almost wonder if he's kind of, you know, I, I put up his stats thinking he was around the area I thought he was. Michael Pineda is like a low walk rate guy. K rate's always been kind of middling, you know, always a little bit under strikeout per inning, you know, low. I think for his career, he is around like 23, 24% K rate. I can see McKay selling around there, you know, good walk rate, so-so K rate, ratios kind of in check. Maybe he's a – I hate using Kyle Hendricks. Why is that my always my go-to for every, like, <laughs> okay, like, solid arm? Um, but maybe a Kyle Hendricks with a little less Ks. I don't know. It's like a good floor arm, so I think there's still some value here. I want, Yeah, I don't think there's really any value this year. Long-term, if you can buy low on him for people that are kind of irritated that he hasn't really you know, done anything and been injured and hasn't really produced any value the last couple of years, maybe you can get him for a decent price. But I wouldn't go crazy trying to get Brendan McKay. Like I, say, I think he's more of a floor guy than a ceiling arm at this point. Like I'd rather have Luis Patino long-term. I'd rather have Shane McClanahan long-term, who has looked pretty solid this year. Yeah, so I don't know. Is that order you, you have them in the same order, Patino, McClanahan, then McKay, or how do you have them? These three. Yeah, that's how I'd have them too. I just don't know if I don't know. This is the question I keep saying. I just don't know where he's at. And I guess we'll see soon enough. And you know, I hope that he works out, but we just don't know. And the talent level's there. He's got the arsenal. He's got he did have the command. So we'll see where that arm is, you know, when he comes back. Yep. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side, talk some rookies and some prospects to stash. So don't go anywhere. 
Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get into some rookie talk here. Some rookies that have impressed us or maybe we've changed our opinion on or value on how we value them in Dynasty Leagues. Let's start up there in Detroit. Last week we had Chris Welsh on. That was a great episode. Go back and check that out. Great, great discussion on you know who is the number one prospect, pitching prospect in baseball. We talked about Matt Manning and his struggles for a little bit. So let's get into some the other the other two of this three headed pitching monster, which I'm not sure we should call it a pitching monster anymore. <laughs> uh, this three headed being in, in yeah. Detroit pitching being that doesn't sound nearly as it, good. It was a has been uh, three headed <laughs> monster. Yeah, it's it like, it's, we thought that right. The the the, the wait a minute. The artist formerly known as a three headed pitching <laughs> prospect monster. Like, these three are prints now. Um, yeah, so let's talk some Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal. Because my opinion on both of these two has changed this year. Like I put out a tweet earlier today on Sunday. Tariq Skubal has really, really turned it around this year. Through his uh, 22 innings in April, 6.14 ERA, 168 whip, 13.5% walk rate, 17.3% strikeout rate. And for those that kind of followed Scooball through the minor leagues, especially in 2019, when he was striking out everybody, you would look at that 17.3% strikeout rate, which is well below league average, and kind of think, like, what's up with him? With Scooball, I think he was he was going through, kind of, I think he's trying to find himself this year, kind of tinkering with the arsenal. He was throwing a splitter instead of the changeup, which was the wrong move, and he just switched back. Uh, and he switched back right around the time he started turning things around. So since the beginning of May, 32 innings, 3.09 ERA, 113 whip, walk rate has dropped to 8.8%, and the K rate has over doubled to 36.8%, which is the second best strikeout rate since May 1st, only behind Max Scherzer. He has eight plus strikeouts in five of his last six games. And you look at the Arsenal here, like with, with Scooball, I think it was really the arsenal that people were questioning because you know, he had the good fastball, you know, flash decent slaughter, but to see overall arsenal and would it translate to major leagues was kind of the question, even though he was striking out, like I said, everybody back in 2019 in the minors. And you look at in his two years in the major leagues, his changeup and slider, especially more so this year, the changeup and slider have been very good. Each pitch has a batting average against of 200 on the dot. XBA lower than that, 193 for the slider, 123 for the changeup. The changeup has a whiff rate of 52.5%, and the slider, 34.5%. Even the curveball, which is less used, you know, it has a batting average against of 182. None of these pitchers are getting hit that hard. So I think, you know, the splitter's gone. He's out of the sinker as well, which is, I think, a nice little wrinkle for him. So maybe going forward, he's a four-seam sinker, slider, changeup guy with an occasional curveball. You know, maybe he gets rid of that splitter for good. I think he should because that was 
horrible pitch, 917 slug against that this year. So I am I'm buying what Scooball is doing lately. And I think he's gone from a guy that I thought was gonna be another like Robbie Ray, Matt Boyd type. It's a good strikeout arm. I think he could be better than that. So I have been really, really impressed with Scooball moving him up my rankings. Now, what do you think, Chris? What have you been your thoughts here on Trick Scooball? Yeah, I mean, he's been stellar recently. You you mentioned all the stats and it's hard to argue with what he's done. And I think just so often when these guys come up and struggle, we tend to write them off too quick. And Scooball was one of those that came up last year, kind of thrown in the fire. He didn't have a minor league season to ramp up and prepare for his debut. And he, he struggled. He did. He struggled in his debut. And even to begin this year, he struggled and people just kind of completely wrote him off. But, you know, he's been really good. And honestly, I thought that he could be the best of those three. I know that was not the most popular opinion because the Arsenal, as you mentioned, and he has some similarities to Robbie Ray, but I think he's kind of coming into his own. And there's been some tangible improvements that I think really stick. And so for me, Scooball is still he, he's ahead of both the like Mize and Manning for dynasty purposes now for me. Cause I think he's made those adjustments and made those moves and he's been proven to what he's doing where I think that he's a solid dynasty play. And I think he needs to be owned everywhere. And I think you can still get him fairly cheap right now. So I'd go out and do that. Mize on the other hand, he's been good too. And so he's one that's made some improvements. He's not striking guys out though, which I think is a concern. Like the, the ratios are good, but how good of a fantasy arm can you be when the strikeouts aren't there? I mean, in his career, he's so far 93 innings, 79 strikeouts this season, 64 and two thirds, only 53 strikeouts. So that's my concern with Mize is just the strikeouts not being there. And I'm afraid they won't be there. And so for, for me, like sitting around 20% K rate, I don't know. I'm just not seeing that being super sustainable. And you kind of look and he's had some underlying things that don't look so great. And his XERA at four or five is, is not great. I mean, it's okay. It's not great though. So there could be some regression coming from him, but definitely I'll be watching both these closely, but yeah, big fan of Scooball and what he's done. Yeah. With Mize, you, you hit it on the head. Like how valuable can Mize be without a good strikeout rate? And even back you know, his days at Auburn before he was the number one pick several years ago. Was it 28? Yeah, 2018. You know, his K rate there wasn't like expect wasn't as high as you would have thought it was for a guy that kind of dominated in college. You know, it was 30% on the nose, which again is a good rate, but you see a lot of these like you look at like the Jack Lighters and and uh, Kumar Rockers this year, they're well above 30. They think they're in the upper 30s, maybe even low 40s. So Mostly you got you got you see these top arms that go like top ten in the draft, higher K rate than he was. And then you know, in the minor leagues in his 123 innings there, K rate 24.7%. So far in the majors, it's even lower than that, 20.1%. So I mean, you know, I unlike what we you know with Dustin May, I always thought there was upside for more strikeouts just because how good the stuff is if he could really harness it you know, figure out a better pitch mix. You know, he's, he was on the curve ball more, for example, this year, you know, he started figuring it out. I don't know if my, you know, I'm not saying it can't go up at all, but is he ever going to be a guy that's pushing 30%? I don't think so. I just don't see it. You know, the splitter has been oddly not good. 
a pitch that I once said was, you know, a 70 grade splitter, which I think it's still a plus, you know, splitter, but this has not been getting good results this year. 278 batting average against, you know, 336 XBA, 574 X slug. Whiff rate's only 17.1%, very odd. And none of his pitches really get big whiff rates. The slider has been, you know, a decent pitch for him this year. I'll, I will give him that. That's been a good addition. He kind of always was tinkering with a cutter slider. It's kind of like, it was a, kind of like a hybrid back in the minor leagues that he would toy with the velocity of. He's kind of got rid of the cutter, full-on slider now. And that's got some good results this year. 31.6% whiff rate. It's his best whiff rate pitch. You know, batting average against under 200. Slugging against it is 258. But even that, like, I don't see him all of a sudden jumping up to like a 50% K rate on this on the slider or anything that, you know, whiff rates in general for Casey Mize are very much right around league average. I think league average, yeah, 24 and a half percent. He's 24.3. I don't think, I don't think there's ever going to be a big K rate jump here. So he's going to be like a decent arm, you know, can keep your ratios in check. He'll, you know, doesn't walk a ton of guys, even though the walk rate has kind of jumped a bit here in the major leagues compared to what it was in the minors. Still pretty good, 7.7% this year. But, yeah, long-term, my order of these three has changed. If you asked me 12 months ago, I think I would have said, sure, I, I said Manning, my screwball. Now, Mize is third for me, and I'm, that's not a knock against Mize. I still think he's a good arm, but for fantasy purposes, he's third. I'm still in on Manning, but... <laughs> I got to put Scooball first now because Manning has just struggled and he continues to struggle in, in minor leagues and Scooball has really turned it on. So I'm putting Scooball first as well. Is that what's your order, Chris? Is it Scooball, Manning, Mize, or how do you have the other two? Scooball, Mize, Manning. I just, Mize is at least performing at the major league level. Manning yeah. can even perform well enough to get a call up. So Manning's serving up batting practice right now in AAA. It's like yeah. every start, one or two home runs allowed. It's, it's not serious good. concerns. <laughs> so. Yes, very. Yes, the one I'm most concerned about is Manning. I think at this point we can say Manning has the lowest floor of the three. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely fair. My seems to have a decently high floor. Yeah, yeah high floor does make maybe the ceilings is not that high. Yeah, better real life arm than fantasy. That's yeah, I think that's fair to say for sure. All right, moving out west, we have to talk about it. I don't want to, but we have to talk about it. We'll talk a little bit Logan Gilbert too, and he's kind of been. So-so, but let's mostly talk about Jared Kelnick. Kelnick is in like an 0 for 458,000 streak here. He hasn't gotten a hit since I was like 15 years old, it feels like. Currently hitting, <laughs> this is a slash line. Oh, Jesus, this is pathetic. 0 185, 193. That's a 378 OPS, 8 for 83. I'd say he's 0 for like his last 37 or 38. Got sat today. You know, so this year, people ask me, is it time to drop Kellen? Yes. Redraft, it's time. You know, it's been time. I probably It's been time like a week ago, but I, probably, I didn't want to admit it at the time. So redraft leagues, I'm totally fine dropping Kellenic. Long term, my opinion on him has not changed one bit. Maybe me, you know, it's my boy. People are like, oh, that's your boy. You're, you got your fan goggles on. No. Kel- we were talking about this before we came on the air, Chris. The, the hype on Kellenic when he came up, was out of control. It was out of control. He was dubbed as the, the savior of that franchise. They put him lead off. 
the very first game and for the, most of the first few weeks he was up, and they finally moved him down. But the pressure on him, and I think the pressure he puts on himself, like I've said it before, how he's always trying to strive to be the best, has that chip on his shoulder mentality. So I think maybe he put a little too much pressure on himself as well to be that savior. That's a lot to put on a, a 21-year-old prospect. So I'm not changing my opinion long-term. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts? No, I think you'd be nuts to change your opinion on him long-term over a small sample debut. And yeah, I mean, he's Ofer's last 42. I hope that they send him down. He doesn't need to break Chris Davis's O for 54 record. Like, yeah, that's, he, we don't, he, he we don't need <laughs> You mentioned that. I mean, the hype was too much. I think he tried to put too much on his shoulders. He's trying to do too much. And now you've even watched him recently and he's gone from trying to hit for power. He's just trying to make contact and hit the ball, you know, where it's pitched, which is better, but he's still not excelling, which is, you know, frustrating. I know it's frustrating for him. And I would say that there's more concerns now than there were, but I'm not concerned long-term. This is a guy that we've watched for several years now. We know who he is, and I think he can be streaky. He's going to go through ups and downs. Any hitter does. Most hitters don't come up and light the world on fire. Not everybody's Bryce Harper or Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto. Like He's not going to be that. I thought the floor was a little higher where he'd come up and he wouldn't struggle, but I think there's some swing and miss in this game. His average probably is not going to be as high as I once thought because there there might be some streakiness in his game. And I'm not changing my opinion long term. I still think that he's a top he's still a top two prospect for me. And you know, he'll graduate the list as a top two prospect because he's that talented across the board. So yeah, for redraft, I think you can be concerned. I'm kind of still hanging on by a thread in redraft. I don't know. I just don't want to miss out on him getting hot because if he gets hot, then you know, watch out. But Dynasty, if you're changing your value or selling low, then you're doing it wrong. Go out and buy him. If someone's willing to sell him low in your Dynasty, you should be scooping him up all day long. So, no, don't be concerned about Jared Kelnick. For redraft, sure. For Dynasty, no, not at all. Yeah, and you look at some of the under-the-hood kind of like under metrics here, like on Savant, there's not a lot to be concerned about. Like They're actually not that bad. When you compare him to like league average, like this year, like he is zone contact rate is above league average. 82.1% is league average. He's 85.2%. His trace rate is only 0.9% above or below, worse than league average. And like, you know, whiff rate is above league average. Like chase contact is above league average. Like you, you would have, you'd think with a guy that's hitting 096 that there'd be like, huge whiff rates here or something like that. And yeah, he has struck out, uh, what was it? 28.3% of the time. You know, that's higher than I thought it would be, but he's also walked 8.7%. That's encouraging. Hard hit rate is slightly above league average. You know, max exit VL 109.3. That's 63rd percentile. Just got a good launch angle. Bail rates actually a hair above league average. So like the metrics under the, you know, the surface stats are way worse than the you know the metrics on savant so yeah be patient if you can buy low absolutely because i am not concerned at all about jared kelnick it's just so much pressure like the last handful of years there's only a couple of projects i can think of off the top of my head that had like more hype around them coming up obviously vlad uh cunha uh chris help me out here i'm trying to think of some other ones that maybe had more hype 
over the last like handful Patis and Soto, but yeah, like, but he's probably like the last handful of years, probably a top five in terms of hype at the time of his debut. And obviously that situation in spring training with the, you know, front office kind of elevated that and kind of put it on the forefront and the front burner of news and baseball. So yeah, I think he's going to be fine. Just, you know, it's going to take him a little bit of time and people forget the Acuna struggle when he came up, Mike Trout struggle when he came up. So not everybody dominates. So we got to remember that, that we kind of forget that with how spoiled we've been. So he'll be fine. I'm still 100% as in on Kelnick right now as I was when he came up, was it a month ago or so? Uh, Logan Gilbert has been, you know, we talked about him a little bit here. He's kind of been up and down so far this year. Command has been kind of wonky. You know, stuff has still looked pretty solid, but, you know, he's kind of, he hasn't been bad. 498 ERA, 125 whip, you know, but he's been getting hit really, really hard so far this year um i don't know actually the era is up to is it 594 or 498 why am i saying two different things here oh did he start today he did yes oh that's why okay um yeah but so he's been looked he's looked all right but getting hit pretty hard because the command has not been there chris what have been your thoughts so far on logan gilbert this year from what i've watched he struggled with command early in starts and he settles in like he settled in nicely this afternoon or he struggled in the first two innings, you know, just commanding his pitches. His mechanics just kind of looked funky, and then he settled in nicely. And, you know, today he got 20 swinging strikes, like pretty good number, nine on the slider, three on eight changeups. And we got to remember that changeup, he just started working on that pitch last year at the alt site. So it's a completely new pitch, and, you know, it's looked good. I think that, I don't know, I wish he'd get some more movement on his fastball. The fastball is a little flat. Yeah, I think he can work on that, but I have seen improvement. I'm struggling with really how to value him right now for redraft, like long term, not as worried. But he seems to just kind of be nervous early in starts, and I don't know if that's true or not. That's just kind of my observation, and he tends to settle in. So it's tough to say for sure, like what he'll do rest of season. But long term, like I still think that he's got like SP two upside. You look at the Arsenal, it's is pretty good. And if he can, you know, limit getting hit hard on the fastball and he'll come around and be fine. So as long as he can just command it a little better and, you know, get that, you know, nerves under control early on, if that's what it is, then then it'll be fine. Just work on commanding those pitches a little better and it'll be good. So yeah, I'm buying Gilbert. If he's, if his values fall in your dynasty league, then go buy him. (laughs) I'd be all over him. Yeah. One last quick thing here, looking at his, you know, the heat heat maps on his four pitches here. Obviously, he's only going to change that four times. I'm not going to look at that. You know, the four you mentioned the four same with the slider's been pretty solid. It's the curveball. When you have four different, like separate red areas of where you're throwing the curveball the most, that's not usually good. You want to see that red area kind of closer together. And two, you know, one's over kind of over the heart of the plate, and the other two are in the upper quadrant. So yeah, the curveball has not been commanded well. Slider's a little not great. You know, look at that's not great either, but a little better than the curveball. And it's kind of odd because the curveball, he hasn't given up a hit yet on it. It's like I'm saying that, and you know, he has a zero zero batting average against, zero slug, you know, 197 X Woba. Um, so it kind of might, might be odd to say this, but that command has not been there, but he's gotten good movement on it, which I think hitters have been kind of fooled by it. 
Um, but the whiff rates haven't really been what they were in the minor leagues. He is, you know, the highest whiff rate he has is on the slider, 31.3%. That's, you know, that's decent, but not great. Um, but yeah, the fastball has been getting hit hard. That's been most of his issue there. 386 batting average against on the fastball. He's only given up one, he's one hit going into, into today, one hit on, on a non fastball. And that was on a slider. All its other hits have been on four seamers. He's been getting hit hard, uh, really hard on that 97.1 average exit velocity on his four seamer. That, my friends, is not good. You don't need me to tell you that. Uh, and launch, he's been getting hit a lot in the air too. Like the launch angle was on his three offerings 19 degrees, 18 degrees, 35 degrees. So I'm um, getting a lot of hard hit balls in the air especially on the fastball, not good. But long-term, yeah, I'm still – my opinion hasn't really changed much on Gilbert. I think he's still going to be a pretty good arm. Maybe not a front-line guy, but, you know, back-end number two, still a very valuable fantasy arm for sure. Moving over here to Minnesota here, Alex Kirilov and Trevor Larnick both have, you know, had their ups and downs so far as to be expected with rookies. But, you know, both – flashing you know the ability to be impact bats long term you know chris what have been your initial thoughts of how kirilov and larnick have looked in the major leagues and how do you value them long term yeah and i think that you know you mentioned there's been like hot flashes for both of them and kirilov was smoking the ball before he got injured and you know since coming back hasn't been as great but i still think there's plenty of upside here and even with larnick i think larnick is can be equal the player that Kirloff can be they're both exciting players i think that both have you know solid hit tools i'd give Kirloff the edge on the hit tool at least but obp skills like larnick's got it he walks yeah. a lot I was have, that, yeah. yeah i mean larnick's got big power you look at what they've done and i would say from the standpoint of looking at rookies like they've been solid like they haven't been stand out but they've been good you know i wouldn't say they've disappointed you look at Lar- larnick's mashing he his max exit velo of of 116 is is actually really high puts puts him up there 98th percentile so better than you know 98 percent of hitters hitting the sweet spot in the, the launch angle 46 percent it's been solid so when he's hitting the ball he's making good contact near 28% K rate needs to come down a bit, but when you walk at 15%, right, he's kind of like a kind of been like a three outcome type guy, either homer strikeout or walk. But I think that he continues to develop. And I think that him and Kirloff could be equal to player. They're, they're semi similar skill sets. I won't call them yeah. like very similar skill sets, but I think they've got some similarities there and they both have good power and can get on base at high clips. So yeah, I'm excited to see how both these continue to develop. And, and I won't say I've been like overly impressed, but I think they've been good. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, has your long-term power outlook for Kirloft changed with how well, you know, the quality of contact metrics have been? Because for me, I you know, I think I might put my, you know, power range on him for his home runs a little higher than I, I did like maybe a year ago where, you know, we knew he'd hit for a good average. You know, the hit tool's always been there. So I, I thought he'd be, you know, potential 300 hitter in the major league level. I was thinking kind of like, you know, maybe 22 to 27 and you know, maybe peak. He approaches 30, but now I think there's a chance he might be a high twenties, low thirties, you know, annually around 30, not just peaking at 30. What do what are your thoughts? Do you agree with that or? Yeah, no, I hundred percent think that's fair. And I think that, you know, 25 to 30 is a fair range and he could probably eclipse 30. Even I think that, you know, that was kind of, I thought he was probably 25, 28 home run guy. 
prior to what we've seen this year. But yeah, I think that 30s not out of the question at all. Yeah, because like, like we said, the quality of content are very good. Like you mentioned, the you know the max exit velo, his barrel rate is 15.1%, X Wobicon 509. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I think you mentioned, you know, he doesn't really walk a ton, he never has. So I think it depends on average or OBP league between these two. But long term, yeah, I, I agree that their values will be pretty close, both around 30 home runs. Good averages, you know, could almost have a good OVP because he gets, you know, he hits a lot. So, not saying he's gonna be a bad OVP guy by any means, but yeah, definitely have been impressed. You know, the surface stats might not be, you know, glowing or jump off the page at you for either one so far, but they have under the radar have have impressed me, especially with their with their metrics, you know, on Savant and whatnot. So, just to care a lot for that quality of contact. So, yeah, definitely very impressed so far with these two. Uh, lastly, last duo here, because we trended as duos on the same team, down to Miami, two of the more intriguing, might be the top two runners in NL Rookie of the Year right now, Trevor Rogers and Jazz Chisholm. Both started really, really hot this season. Jazz kind of has cooled off a little bit. You know, he went, obviously went on the IL for a bit, came back, hasn't been on the same pace as he was before, but still the overall numbers look good even though the savant page you know which he was lighting up in red earlier in the year that has chilled off as well but trevor rogers is still just dominating every start it's like he just looks better and better and you know, where where are you at with each of these two guys like you know we, we've talked about each of them a bit you know in past weeks but where do you have them right now you know where are you valuing them in dynasty leagues I mean, got to keep pushing him up. And I'm more confident in Rodgers, I think, at this point. He's just been so steady and good. And I think Jazz does have some slight concerns with, you know, the strikeout rate. And that's kind of always been my fear with him and the reason that I've never gone all in on him, despite him having, like, the that skill set that we've seen this year. Like, he's had – he's shown. But, you know, he's striking out at near 33%, over 33% clip, which – it's definitely concerning for me and, you know, especially against breaking and off speed pitches, he's swinging and missing at a ton of those pitches. And surprisingly, despite having a 40% whiff rate against off speed, he's still got 292 batting average against. And I wonder if that kind of comes down a little bit, he's hit fastballs. Well, only whiffing at a 27% rate against those, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with what he's done. He's been quite impressive and you're know, turning around hundred mile an hour to Grom fastball and just mashing it. He's stealing bases. He's doing everything you want him to do. I'm just kind of afraid that, you know, he's hitting 264 right now. Like I think, I think he could struggle to break 250. And so that's my concern with him. Rogers on the other hand has just been super consistent and steady. The strikeouts are there every start. He just looks really good and confident on the mound. So I'd say I'm a little more confident in Rogers long-term, which is crazy to say that I'm more confident in a pitcher than a a batter, but that's kind of where I am. And, you know, jazz has been great. I think he's a great long-term asset, but I'll take Rogers. Yeah. I think I'm kind of there with you. You know, I do have Chisholm ranked a little higher in my rankings right now, but both have jumped into my top 100, which is crazy to think about. Like if you asked me back in spring training, or if you told me that, Jazz Chisholm and Trevor Rogers would both be in my top 100 by, you know, basically by the end of May, I would have looked at you funny, you know, like 
both of them were, you know, good prospects, but I don't, I didn't, I don't think anybody saw them both kind of vaulting up to where they are now, you know, unless your name's Ray Butler and you predicted this Trevor Rogers <laughs> breakouts. Um, but yeah, Trevor Rogers has just looked so damn good. You know, the three pitch mix, all three generating whiffs, you know, none of which are getting hit hard. X of Elo is under 88, uh, 88 degree. Yeah, 88 miles per hour. Excuse me. Let me find the right metric here. Uh, on all three pitches, you know, he's mixing them well, throws both, you know, all three pitches to both sides of the plate. It's a lot to like here. And yeah, you see, you see Chisholm kind of coming back down to earth. But we kind of all thought that, right? Like we knew that he would be a kind of up and down guy due to the, the hit tool, due to the, the plate approach. And you see it, you know, the, you know, the walk rate has been around 8%, which is pretty solid. But the key rate is 33.1%, bottom 7% of the league, and the whiff rate is 32.8%, uh, which is also uh, that's bottom 13% of the league. So, you know, he's hitting the ball hard, you know, good barrel rate, good max exit velo, sprint speeds there. So, I think, you know, that power speed blend that you're seeing is very legit, but that average is going to go up and down, kind of like with it will with the Luis Robert, you know both have similar plate approaches where they strike out a ton they whiff a ton they chase too much but they can barrel it up and crank it a long way when they get a hold of it so i uh, think i think legit top 100 for both but you know you told me one can get top 50 probably rogers he might be a fantasy ace by the end of the season with the way he's going but moving on here to our last segment before we get y'all out of here this week we figured we had it's been I think probably three, four weeks since we talked prospects to stash. So with all the prospects that have come up recently, figured now it's a good time to kind of talk about this again. Because people are asking like, who's the next bats up, who are the next arms up. I can tell you right now, we don't have any arms on this list right now. You know, we all the arms that we were kind of looking at to come up have come up. Like Spencer Howard came back, Gilbert came up, Cowar came up. Before we get into these hitters, Chris, is there any pitcher right now that you'd be looking to stash because now, with Coar up now, I don't, I'm not looking to stash Gore right now. I'm not looking to maybe super deep leagues, sure, but Pearson's been struggling. Manning's been getting hit around. There's really nobody that jumps out to me. How about you? Nope. I have no <laughs> no stash candidates for pitchers, and sorry if you have to write that article. There's just nobody to <laughs> is worth even considering. I mean, Lynch maybe, but he hasn't yeah, pitched since yeah, we what, see Lynch May 13th. Back up. Yeah, he's pitched this May 13th, which is interesting. Uh, that, I don't know. Uh, he he pitched the other day. Did he? Okay. Maybe yeah. Yeah. He, he was. I think he was out for a little bit, but yeah, he did. I say he might have made two starts since he came back. But okay. yeah, yeah so maybe we that. maybe we see Lynch. But yeah. you know, he's again, are you super excited? Like, there's no huge impact arms, and we've seen like all these guys have struggled. So I'm not really looking to. I'm not excited about stashing Gore or Manning or Pearson. I probably would look to, you know, not waste that spot unless like i said super deep leagues deep benches sure you know it won't hurt you as much there but you're you're in like a 12 teamer or have shallower benches where the roster spots are more valuable i'm not looking to stash any pitchers right now unfortunately uh so luckily i years ago i used to write separate stash articles hitters and pitchers i have since combined that so i don't have to write one strictly about pitchers one of the best decisions I've ever made as a, as a writer. That was great. So the, the next one I'll write, which probably soon is probably going to be all hitters or maybe one pitcher in the back end of the top 10. We'll see. But yeah, moving on here to some hitters. 
Now, first off, everyone's been asking, you know, you and me both, Chris, when do we see the Tampa Bay guys? When do we see Bruhan? When do we see Wander? Both are, you know, not quite, you know, Bruhan has tailed off a little bit here. They're not dominating like they were start of the year, but, you know, uh, Wander is picked back up. He's hitting over 300, you know, hitting for power, stealing a few bases here. Bruhan's still doing very well. When do you think we see them in Bruhan maybe by the end of the month? I don't think we see Wander until July. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you have to say Bruhan first, and he's already on the 40-man. Wander yeah. is not, so they would have to make a move, which you know, not hard to do. I think they would easily do it, but I don't think they're going to rush him. They're, they're in no dire need. I mean, they're performing extremely well. That's the thing, yep. <laughs> I mean, they've been – they've been the best team in baseball like and they don't have arguably two of their better prospects up i mean wander could be one of their better players instantly bruhan could be one of their better players instantly so i think we see bruhan maybe by the end of the month we'll see it depends on how he performs if he keeps up you know, perform at this level then yeah we'll definitely see him up but you know wander might be after the all-star break who knows there's no clear like definitive date where it's like okay well that would make sense so yeah i don't know how much of a stash he is i guess you kind of have to if you want him in redraft you probably are stashing him already but yeah bruhan i would say is is probably one of the better stashes right now yeah yeah bruhan's my number one stash you know i might even look to you know if i had wander right now in redraft i don't think it would hurt to like see if anybody wants him if anybody else yeah. wants to stash him, give you something of value that can help you right now, that wouldn't be a bad idea. I'm not saying just like get him off your team or anything like that, but it wouldn't hurt just to see what's out there. Just you know, get your get your toes in the water and see some, if someone offers you something that could help you now. Especially if you're contending and or maybe you're falling down from contention, you need to get back up and make a splash. Trading Wander could be a thing. Obviously, I'm not trading him in Dynasty right now, but redraft and that could be a solid move. Um, another one that's kind of in flux right now because where he is jaron duran you know currently with team usa at the qualifiers and all that you know that might push us eta back we you know it might be august at this point you know, obviously the red sox would always pull him back but you know they haven't yet so i don't think they're going to and they have other options even though they're not great you know they can throw kike hernandez out there they can throw danny santana out there you know, Marlon Gonzalez can play some outfield. So it's not like the Red Sox, even though they're not getting production from that third outfielder, you know, along with Verdugo and the Hunter Renfro, who is now kind of heating up a bit here over the last couple of weeks, they don't really need to call up Duran. So I don't know if that's – I don't see them pulling him back. I think they'll let him stay and do his thing with Team USA. So that might not be till August. So, Chris, are you – you know, if you have Duran in, in redraft leagues, are you going to hold him until then or – you got to drop for a better stash or drop for, you know, pitching stream or whatever it may be. I don't think he's worth holding. I, I really don't. I don't see him coming up till after the Olympics, which Olympics run you know, to mid August. And then you've got to get back from Japan and you probably got to clear COVID protocols and yep. it, may, it may be September. I, yeah, it really remember, might yeah. be September. Yeah. I don't, I don't see him getting back in the swing of things. I don't see him providing any value this year for fantasy, which I hate to say because, you know, he was being, he was performing so well, but I think it from the standpoint, if he is still on the team, if the Red Sox don't pull him back, which I don't think they will. If he goes to Japan, I don't 
see hardly any impact. He may come up in September, but at that point, like what kind of value is he going to provide? It's hard to say for sure, but yeah, he's, he's not a hold for me right now in redraft. Yep. Totally agree. But one last quick thing on Duran. I, I can't find the exact quote. I was just trying to look for it, but I couldn't find it. But Todd Frazier had a quote where he had Jaron Duran in the same breath as Mike Trout. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Todd Frazier might be a little crazy, but you got to be excited about what Jaron Duran could be, especially as a Red Sox fan. I'm really excited to see what he can be at the major league level. So I'm really excited for him long term. Good power speed guy. I think he's going to be a, a catalyst at the top of the order, which the Red Sox desperately need. Uh, they don't have a lead enough hitter on the team right now. They just don't. They've been trying. Kiki Hernandez there. Danny Santana played there a little bit. It's just been a – I think they have the lowest uh, – was it the lowest OPS by far for you know leadoff hitters in the majors. So, yeah, they're looking for a leadoff hitter. But it'll be Duran at some point. But, yeah, August, September, end of the season. So, if, if – you're not in a deeper league and have a lot of bench spots. I would also be okay cutting bait here. Now, last couple of names here. Um, Jesus Sanchez we have on here to talk about Bobby Witt Jr., who is heating up at double-A. Power speed lunges there. I still don't think we see Bobby Witt this year. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's hard because it's Kansas City, but I don't see them wanting to rush him, start the, you know, start the clock on him in terms of service time. So I something there's a chance. I'll say 20% chance he's up this year, but it might be, uh, you know, May of 2022 thing. So personally, I'm not looking to stash wit right now. Sanchez. Yeah. He's probably my number two stash right now. You know, he's been tearing the cover off the ball, triple a finally putting it all together. So he's a good stash, but in terms of wit, I'm I'm not seeing it this year, but you know what, what do you think? And, and same thing with Waters down in your neck of the woods. Do you think we see Waters this year, Chris? Uh, probably not. I I think the pressure content is running out of makeshift outfield right now, and I think that if they thought he was ready, he would already been up. I mean, he made the AAA in 2019. He's been good this year in AAA, so maybe by August. But I don't think Waters is a stash at this point. I really you think don't. you think they deal him? It's the possible. Break? Yeah, I, I mean, he, he's their best trade chip, in my opinion. And they, they've they got to make a big move. Like, if they're still in contention, they've got to make a big splash, especially with losing Ozuna, Soroka not being back. Like, they've got to do something. And so I would say Waters is is their best trade chip. And so I, I don't – I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him at all. Yeah, it's going to – you know, yeah, he hasn't been tearing the cover off the ball, but it's kind of – makes you scratch head a little bit that he hasn't always gotten a shot, right? Because they, they lost Ozuna, you know, Pache's back down. You know, they have, they have the openings. It's not like there's been zero openings for Waters. There's been some chances that they could have caught him up. You know, like I said, it would help if he was hitting a little better at those times. But the fact that he hasn't gotten that call yet, maybe he's just fallen out of favor there. You know, and they, they have Michael Harris coming up too, so coming right behind him, so... I can see them dealing him at the deadline, but uh, real quick, do you, you do you think we see Wit this year? I would say it's a slim chance. I feel like if they thought that he was ready, then they would have just brought him out of spring training when he was absolutely mashing. But that right. was never their intention. Like everybody thought so, but it was never their intention for that. I mean, they've been surprisingly, you know, above five hundred. I don't think that sticks. I really don't. And I think they're going to fall out of contention, and there'd be no real point for them to do that. I just think that'd be a waste on their part when they don't need him 
And I think they just, like you mentioned, the service clock, there's no reason to start it now. So I think they kind of hold off. But yeah, I, I'd say it's I'd say it's a little higher percentage than you. I'd go at 35%, but I would say it's unlikely. Yeah, it's weird. Kansas City always seems to like start off kind of okay. Then, yeah, they always fall out of contention. So I don't see them any desire on their part to bring him up, start that service clock. So if you're stashing wit, redraft leagues, it's probably time to cut bait for someone else because doesn't look like he's going to be up this year. He could be. We could be wrong. And, you know, we both said there's a, a sliver of a chance, and that could be the, the sliver that he needs. But just don't see it this year. But all right, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening again this week. We hope that you, you all enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I am at EricCross04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Check out all of our written work at FantraxHQ.com and our Patreon, patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. We'll be back with you all again next week with more Dynasty and Prospect talk. But until then, everyone take care. fans. It's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion?